So excited to share the word this morning. Um, there's a word that God has given me, I think, that positions us both personally, but also as a church. You know, we're in a series called Unchartered. And there could not be a better word that describes this season. Whether you are a business owner and you're trying to chart out your path and you're like, are we, how can we stay open and all of these things. Whether personally there's some things going on in your life that have shifted, whatever the case, we are in territory we haven't been before, right? And God brought me back to a passage in scripture that we're gonna dive into this morning. And it's a season where Jesus was going from, uh, he was living on the earth, he was a son, he was learning how to be a carpenter, and then there was a shift that happened. For him, it was unchartered. It was a new season that he was shifting and it was the launch of his ministry. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're gonna just set the stage here, um, talking out of the previous chapter of where I'm really gonna land today. We're gonna start in Matthew 3, verse is 15 to 16. And this is where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. Of course, they were cousins. If you don't know that, John the Baptist was kind of a forerunner to Jesus. He was a prophet that came before, and it says that his calling was to prepare the way, to prepare people's hearts for the Son of God to come, for Jesus Christ to come to the earth. And so, but they were cousins. And John sees Jesus coming to get baptized. And here John is at the river, and he's baptizing all this, these people, and he sees Jesus coming. And how many know you'd be a little bit intimidated Intimidated to be the one that's called to baptize Jesus, who John knew would be the savior of the world, right? And so he says to Jesus, no, oh, I can't do that. Like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, it will be true and right and faithful to God's chosen path for you to cleanse me with your hands in the Jordan River. So John agrees and he baptizes him. And the coolest thing happens. This is the very beginning as Jesus kind of goes into this new season the very thing that happens is the opens heavens, the whole, uh, heavens open. And it's literally a voice comes from heaven. And it says, this is my son. This is God speaking to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. This is the apple of my eye with whom I am well pleased. You know what I love about this? Is God begins this journey with Jesus by affirming him. And I felt even this morning, I don't know where you're at. But God wants to say to you, he loves you. You are the apple of his eye. You are on his mind. He delights in you and he wants to use you. But you know what? Before he wants to use you, you know what he wants to do? He wants to love you and he wants to affirm you. So I don't know, even if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to know that you're gonna be, your heart's gonna be burning this morning as you hear about Jesus because he loves you. He wants to say to you, I love you, I'm thinking about you, you are on my mind today. That's how this whole story begins, which I love. We're gonna move to Matthew four, this is the very next verse, the next chapter, and this is where we're gonna kinda park today. It says that the spirit then led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and after this fast he was, as you can imagine, hungry. But he was also curiously stronger when the devil came to tempt Jesus. The title I message this morning is Curiously Stronger, Discovering the Power of Preparation. So what happens immediately follow, following this 
is that Jesus was stronger. He's fasted 40 days and, 40, uh, and he's prayed. He's been leading up to this moment. And then the devil comes and he gives him three tests. Three tests. And he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus quotes the word and he says, man does not live by bread alone. Rather, he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem. And he had Jesus stand at the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, jump. He like dares him to jump. And then we'll see what the uh, scripture says. Kind of dares him and kind of mocks him a little bit. Verse eight, it says that, um, I'm verse seven, it says, this is not the only thing the scripture says. Jesus says, do not put God to the test. And then the devil puts him to a third test. Verse nine, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. See, the enemy is still taunting us to this day with this one, right? He's still taunting us with this. Bow down to me and I will give you the kingdom. And then Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. I will not serve you. I will instead follow scripture, which tells us to worship the eternal one, your God, and serve only him. And then the devil left Jesus and the heavenly messengers came on and ministered to him. In verse 17, just a few verses later, it says, from this time on, preaching was part of Jesus' work. So before God, even, Jesus began to walk the earth and minister and do signs and wonders and share the message of the gospel that his life was all about. Before he did one thing, all of this took place. You know, we want to see people reached in our city. We want to see breakthrough. I want to see marriages restored. I want those that are in the church that are struggling with their faith. I want to see revival. I'm praying. I'm crying out for revival. I want a move of God. I will not stop asking the Lord for that. We want this. We want to be used by God. But you know, it's going to take some things. It's going to take some deserts, it's gonna take some fasting, it's gonna take some prayer, it's gonna take something for us to be prepared to move into what God has for us. And I wanna say this, you know, the ministry, and Doug mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I love that, but the ministry is not about the preachers or the pastors up here. Do you know what our role is? Our role is equip you to equip you to do the ministry. You are all the, actually the ministers of the gospel. We're the ones that are called to inspire, to activate you. But we are in ministry. So as we go into this season of preparation, I want us to think about this. We can't want the results. We don't want, we want revival. We want a move of God. We want breakthrough in our lives. We want healing. We want whatever we're asking God for. We want the results, but sometimes we don't want the preparation, right? We want the fruit, but we really don't want the work of tilling the soil and planting the seeds and, and just staring at ground that, that doesn't look like anything. We just want the fruit. But there's some preparation in your life personally. And part of why we're going into devote groups is that we wanna learn how to devote ourselves, not just the staff or the spiritual people that you look and you're like, oh, they're spiritual, they need to. No, each one of us are called to devote ourselves. We can't have the fruit without doing the work ourselves personally. Sometimes we wanna be grown up and we wanna be treated like grown ups, but we don't wanna go through the growing pains that it takes 
to grow up. Sometimes we wanna be in shape without the working out. Do you know they even have these machines that you can buy that you like link up to your muscles and then you can like watch TV or something and they're like doing your muscles for you. I'm like, come on, can we not just do the work? We, we want the results, but we don't. Here's one, we want the unity in the body of Christ. And we say we want the unity. We don't want division, we want unity, but without the humility and the forgiveness and honestly, the apologies sometimes that it's gonna to take to build it. You want unity, it's gonna take a huge, big dose. I mean, you want to see unity in the body of Christ, it's gonna take a huge, big dose of humility on all of our parts. We want a savior to come and help us, but we don't wanna surrender our lives to the savior. And I believe this passage as Jesus launches in to literally set the world on fire, never to be the same again. He discipled 12 people and literally changed the whole entire world. Sometimes we're like, oh, but it's just me. Well, one person discipled 12 people that literally changed the whole world. But we have to be willing to go to the preparation. Rick Warren says this, God is looking for people to use, and if you can get usable, he will wear you out. The most dangerous prayer you can pray is this, use me. But that's the prayer we've been praying. God, use me. Use us as a church. Use us right now in this crazy season to be a light, to be a beacon. Use us. But it's a dangerous, dangerous prayer. So how can we be like Jesus, curiously stronger when these moments come in our life? Number one, the Holy Spirit will lead you to your place of preparation. Trust him. Now your preparation is emphasized there. I emphasized it on purpose because do you know what? It says the spirit then led Jesus into the desert. It doesn't even say he led John the Baptist at that moment or anybody else, he led Jesus. See, God is going to lead you to a place of preparation that might be different than mine. And I might want your preparation because your preparation <laughs> looks better than mine, but God doesn't work that way. He has a preparation specifically in mind for you. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I loved worship and music and all of those things. And honestly, I wanted to go to our Bible college at our church. Nothing could, I mean, that seems so exciting to just do the Bible and worship. And I had grown up in a Christian school. I'd been a pastor kid and a missionary's kid, as you know. And, and so my whole life, let's be real, my whole life was Christian's. I mean, I love the house of God. There is a scripture that every time I read it, I tear up because it's like one day in the house of God is better than thousands ever anywhere else. And I'm like, that's my life. I love being at the house of God. I love, love, love there. So of course I wanted to go to Bible college. I'm like, that makes sense to me. I feel called um, specifically to reach people through worship. Like it just made sense to me. And I remember I went... I got graduated and I went through one term of, of uh, Portland Bible College and I felt like that was right, but I felt like this kind of pit in my stomach. Like I went in to register and I just felt like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, what in the world? This is like the best place. They have three hour chapels on Friday. And I'm like, come on, yeah. And I felt like just this pit growing in me, like, like something God was trying to get my attention, right? Went home and talked to my parents and my parents with their wisdom, they're like, you know, God's speaking to you. Is there, is there anything else? And I was like, well, you know, my dad had talked, we'd talked many years about university or teaching music. And I was like, well, yeah, but like, you know, and my dad said, well, why don't you just go down 
to the university and just like walk into their music department and just kind of get some information. Just like, just knock on the door, get some information. You don't have to commit to four years of university for music, you know, just knock on the door. So I went down there and it was so crazy because literally the moment I walked, I was scared to death because I, to be honest, I, I was quite protected in that sense. I was in a very large church, but it was Christians, you know? And so I walk in and I'm in like a secular university of thousands in downtown Portland. And literally the crazy thing is the moment I walked into the music department office, the registration where you'd go get the information, like peace came to literally my physical body. And I was like, what was that? Oh no, 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 no. This isn't really supposed to be my place of preparation because I chose my place of preparation. I decided what was right for my preparation and God must be wrong. And yet, you know what God did? He led me there and it was the perfect place to prepare me because I was surrounded by people that did not know the Lord. And you know what happened in those four years is yes, I got a music education, which helped me in the church too, of course. God knows what he's doing. But you know what else is I got a heart for people that are lost, that don't know Christ. Because all of my friends, everybody I was in contact with, I had to stand alone. I didn't know one other Christian there, not one other Christian in my program or department. There was a preparation that God led me to that if I would have done what I wanted to do would have never equipped me for for me to work with teenagers in public school and all of the things that God was setting me up for. God knows what your preparation is. But you know, we gotta be led by the spirit. You know that word led is a sailing word. When you look it up, it means to set sail. So when it says the spirit, which is the breath of God or the wind of God, literally led Jesus. It was like a wind came and set Jesus a sail to go into the desert. Crazy, but God will lead you like that. There's going to be a nudging. There's going to be a gentle wind. There's going to be a leading you to where it is that you're supposed to get your preparation. And it might not make sense to you. I definitely told God a few things that it just actually doesn't make sense. I've said to the Lord the last six months, this doesn't really make sense. Because in January, you gave us a word of what was going to happen. Denver's going to be set on fire with revival and then COVID and we're shut down and we're, I mean, none of it makes sense. And the Lord keeps bringing me back. Trust me, trust me. I'm leading you to your place of preparation. Who knows what going on right now, even as a church, as individuals, who knows what preparation God is doing in our hearts. We got to trust him. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might not be what we chose. It might not be what we expected. And you know, the other thing God showed me is that I can't trade my preparation. It's not like you go to the store and be like, I like that preparation, I'll do that. And for that person, that might be the hardest thing in the world, but for you, you're like, that sounds great, I'll do that, you know? God wants to design a preparation just for you and you can't trade it. So let the Holy Spirit lead you to your place of preparation for what God is calling you to do. Number two, the desert refines our hearts, strips us of pride and selfish ambition. Isn't that fun? Surrender to him. Surrender to him. You know that verse, it says the spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You know, uh, the desert, the word in the Strongs, it is, I thought it was so interesting. It says this, it is ironically also where God richly grants his presence and provision for those seeking him. 
How beautiful is that, that in the desert where it's dry and you don't just choose to go to the desert or the wilderness because do you know what it means? It means solitary, desolate, it's lonely, it's desolate. Nothing's growing there. Why would I go there? And yet also it's the place where God richly meets you and blesses you. This is what happens. You know, I think about those moments um, at Portland State and I was there as a music student um, just studying violin. And um, there was practice rooms, right? And there was about maybe 20 practice rooms, but there was about three of them that had these panels that you could slide across the window, the glass doors, right? So you could be totally alone. People could sort of hear you, but it was kind of muffled. And then these three, so I would sit, literally sit in my desert. I would sit, <laughs> I would sit there in the hallway and wait for one of those three rooms to open up. I would do my homework, whatever, and then as soon as one would open up, it'd like, boom, in there, slide the door forward. And that became this place where I had to dig deep. I would sit there and I would not be practicing the violin and my violin teacher was so mad at me sometimes. But I would play for piano for hours and I would just dig into Jesus. I wonder if I was at Bible college, if I would have had such a hunger to dive in and spend hours at the piano just singing to the Lord. God knew, God knew it was some place where he would richly grant his presence and his provision. In these moments, it's where our true motives kind of come out. Like I remember thinking like, people will think I don't want to be in the ministry or something. You know, this is like, it's gonna, you know, it just, my motives began to come out. My flesh began to come out. How many love it when your flesh comes out? Ugh. Well, guess what? God wants to put you in a place where your flesh will come out so that he can prepare you so he can deal with those things. So there was three tests that Jesus went through and I think that it really represents these seasons, these desert seasons, like Jesus was in the desert and these temptations that come. And the first one is the devil says, turn the stones to bread. And this is really like a physical temptation to just get what you want, get what you need, do what feels good. It's kind of like about hunger and sat, um, satisfaction. It, it's like the flesh, the literal flesh, do what feels good. And you know what I was thinking in this season is, God has revealed to us what we reach for when there's a void. You know, we laugh and I hate this and I'll be 100% honest, I did the COVID-15, if you know what I'm talking about. In the first two months, it was the COVID-15. I realized what I'm reaching for when something else is a void is food. But what are we reaching for? Are we reaching for our phones every single time there's a void? Do we reach for our phone and mindlessly, numbingly scroll through every app we can think of? What are we feeding? And these are the moments when, when the devil comes and he tempts you in your flesh to physically do whatever feels good in that moment and that's just fine. And Jesus, Jesus reveals that. But, but we can't make our own provision. See, that's what the devil was trying to tempt Jesus to do, to make his own provision. And Jesus says, nope, I do not live by bread alone, but by the word from God. The second thing in this season is that the devil comes and he stands him on the top, top of the temp, uh, temple and he says, jump down and see if these angels, because doesn't it say that angels will take care of you? But it's kind of like this mocking tone. And you know, I want you to think about this. It's so manipulative. It's like this emotional temptation because God had just affirmed Jesus publicly. 
had said, this is my beloved son who I delight in, right? And then all of a sudden the devil comes with this emotional temptation. Does he really care about you? Will those angels really take care of you? Why don't you just show it? And he kind of, he pokes at something called an ego. He pokes at something that, that is like, hmm, are you, your emotions being validated by what other people think of you? Are, are, what is validating you? And Jesus is so strong with him. But we have to be confident in who we are in Christ. Our significance comes from God. Whether I jump off and you see angels take care of me, and I, I really don't care. Because guess what? I know what my father thinks about me. I know what he declares over me. And the third temptation in this moment is a control temptation. The devil takes him up. He puts him and we're at this top of a mountain where he can see all of these kingdoms. And he says, if you will serve me, if you will worship me right now, I'll give all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you, they'll be your kingdoms. That's really a temptation for control, right? Materialism, where you can control everything and they're yours. And, and you know, it's interesting right now, I think in this season that, that control is what we've lost. We can't plan. I feel like loss of control because I used to be able to be like, hey, next June, let's go to Italy for our 25th anniversary. I used to be able to control some things. And now it's like, question mark, at some point, in some time, we're gonna go to Italy. <laughs> Hopefully, if it ever, I and mean, this is, our life is like, there's no control. But you know, I wanna say this, the devil will come to you and he will give you opportunities to control things right now, whereas Jesus says no, no. But is control the price that can buy your devotion? And you're just like, I just, I gotta have control. Okay, I'm gonna bow to the enemy right now because I just, I gotta control one thing. I can't control anything else, but I'm gonna control, control one thing. COVID has brought that out in some of us and we need to put that at the feet of Jesus. Surrender to him. I read this uh, quote by Stanley Jones. It says, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Isn't that cool? That is what God is calling us to do, is for us to throw that hook, but not to be like, I want what I want. This is what I want. Control, my validation, this is what I want. No, it's for us to be able to go to God's will, what God wants. This is what God wants to do in your desert. So when the Holy Spirit leads you into a desert called 2020, smile, he's preparing you. He's revealing things in you. Let God do it, amen? Number three, hunger forces us to rely on God's strength, not our own. Lean into him. You know, it says Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and after this fast, he was, as you can imagine, hungry, hungry. See, hunger forces us to rely on God's strength. I was thinking about this, and even how the words and how it lines up. What you choose to do in your desert will position you for your next season. See, it says the Spirit of God led Jesus to the desert. 
It doesn't say Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. It says Jesus led, I want you to catch this, this is important. Jesus, or the Spirit, led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Next verse. He fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights and became hungry. What do you do when you find yourself in a desert? Because what Jesus did when he found himself in a desert is he made a choice to put the flesh down and he began to fast and he began to pray. He didn't begin to whine and begin to complain about the desert. Instead, he made a choice. Today, there's a choice before you. There's a choice before me. What are we going to do when the spirit leads us into a desert? It is time, church. It is time to be like Jesus, to say, okay, I'm gonna press in a little bit more. I'm gonna fast some things. Maybe it's not food, maybe it is. Why are we so afraid to fast food these days? Man, when I was growing up, I'll be honest, okay? This is a tangent. We would fast every year for three days, and I'm talking literally fast. All we had was water. It wasn't a juice fast. It wasn't a protein shake fast. It was a water fast. And we would fast for three days, and I was like 14, 15, 16. I mean, it didn't matter. And these days, that's like so hard in the flesh. It's probably not good for me. I have a blood sugar problem. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, when you're drinking water, all of us have a blood sugar problem, right? And I'm only saying this to challenge you. We're so afraid to do hard things these days. We're so afraid for that to be hard or for it to bump me. And yet what Jesus chose to do in the desert, in the hardest place, in the hottest, driest, most alone place, is he then said, okay, this is the time to pray and fast. This is the time to put the news away and take my Bible out. This is the time to put that gossip that I just heard away. That's division. And instead, I'm gonna go to the prayer this is a time to stop complaining. And this is a time to pray fast. See, the other thing that hunger does is it starves our flesh and helps us work up an appetite for God. You know what doesn't work up an appetite for God? Binge watching Netflix. Okay, we've all done it. Not saying that I'm above this. But can I say this? My appetite for God goes down the more I am just feeding myself endless amounts of, of just entertainment. There is something that happens when you say, I'm gonna press stop, I'm gonna turn social media off, I'm gonna turn the TV off for a week. Can you imagine? I'm gonna turn it off, I'm gonna turn everything off. Why? Because I'm gonna press in, I'm gonna choose. Because that is what works up an appetite for God. Do you know what would happen in our church if a bunch of us, whether you're at home or whether you're here, do you know what would happen in our city if a bunch of us took this as seriously as Jesus did and said, in this desert, I'm gonna press in, I'm gonna press I'm gonna fast, I'm gonna press in and see this appetite grow. It's gonna consume you, it'll be incredible. You know, I love this, Matthew 5, 6, which is the very next chapter. Jesus says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. God is looking today for some hungry Christians. Hungry after the things of God. You know, the other thing is hunger humbles us, reminds us of our frailty. And Jesus had to say, man does not live by bread alone. He had to claim it. You know, he was quoting a verse in Deuteronomy. Jesus himself quoted this verse in Deuteronomy 8.3. And I love this in the voice translation. It says this, he humbled you by making you hungry 
where there was no food in the desert, then he led you with manna, a food you and your ancestors had never heard of. He did this because he wanted you to understand, listen to this, that what makes you truly alive is not the bread you eat, but following every word that comes from the mouth of the eternal one. That is what's gonna make us feel truly alive when we get spiritual food. I read this, um, it's from A.C. Dixon. It says, when we rely upon an organization, we get what the organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. See, what fasting does is it, it reminds us that we're frail. What prayer does is it's saying, I trust you, God, I'm not gonna try to control or fix this. I'm gonna put my trust in you. I love this. There was another story in the Bible where the disciples weren't even able to heal this little boy. And Jesus said, this will not happen without prayer and fasting. There is some things in 2020 that will not break without some, some the church rising up to say, I'm gonna believe for unity. There's division in the church. There's division in the world. There's division in our streets. It's gonna take prayer and fasting. Let's break through and see God do it. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. But church this is gonna take us making room for God. You know, my mom used to say, oh, you can't eat that before dinner because you'll ruin your dinner, right? That every mom ever in the whole wide world always say that, right? And I find myself, nope, no, you can't have that bag of chips because you'll ruin your dinner, right? Well, guess what? We're doing a lot of ruining our dinner and there's not a lot of spiritual appetite. And I wanna challenge you today, make room for God. Make room for prayer. Make room in your life for the things of the Lord and see what God will do. So hunger forces us to rely on God's strength. Number four, when we stand on scripture, we push away the enemy's hold on us and we worship him only. I love this verse. I want this to be your verse. Literally, when you're struggling, I want you to think about these words. Verse 10, get away from me, Satan. I will not serve you. I will instead follow scripture, which tells us to worship the eternal one, your God, and serve him only. And guess what happens in verse 11? Then the devil left Jesus and heavenly messengers came and ministered to him. See, it's the word that gives you the tools to stand against the enemy because he stood on the scriptures. He said, this is what the scripture says. And it's this, the prayer, it's the prayer that gives you the strength to face the enemy. So Jesus became curiously stronger because of prayer and fasting, but he used the word as a tool and he resisted the enemy. And you know what happened? The enemy left him. The enemy left him. Sometimes we have to stand up and say, I will not serve anxiety any longer. I will serve only God. I will worship only God today. I will not glorify the things I'm stressed and concerned and anxious about today. I will not serve those things any longer. I will not serve a spirit of fear. It's trying to take over. Sorry, all filled up all filled up. I trust God today. I lean on God today. And we got to be like Jesus. But you see, something made Jesus curious and stronger. Remember, it was the preparation, the preparation that did it. 
I read a story, um, and it was so challenging to me because it's really what's interesting is what's under the surface, the things that you don't see are the things that matter when it comes to a test or a challenge or 2020. It's revealing the weaknesses in all of us. That's what it's doing. That's okay. Don't be scared of it. Don't be like, shame on 2020. No, deal, deal with what God wants. There's a story about Charles Spurgeon, which is one of my favorite people to read about, but, and it was five college students and they were in London and they were like, oh, we got to hear the famous Charles Spurgeon preached. So they show up at his church and they're greeted by a man who said, gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you like to see the heating plant of this church? Well, these boys were like, are you kidding me? It's the middle of July. It's like summer, but they didn't want to offend him. Charles Spurgeon, I would do the same. I'd be like, wherever you want to show me, I'm game. But they didn't know it was Charles Spurgeon yet, but they were trying not to be rude, right? So they go, they follow this. The young men were taken down a stairway where a door was quietly opened and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. Surprised, the students saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking a blessing on the service that was soon to begin in the auditorium above. And softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself and it was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself. What was happening underneath was the, the room that made room for God what was gonna happen upstairs, which is people were gonna get saved. Every single service, people, hundreds would flock to give their lives to Jesus. We want that. Well, then are you gonna be in the, the room underneath? Are you gonna be in the heating room? You know, all the years at Generation Unleashed when we did a youth conference and we saw honestly hundreds and thousands of young people bend their knee to Jesus Christ. We had what was called an engine room and it was behind the stage and it was people that prayed, 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 prayed through the whole entire conference. And Doug and I could walk through the lobby at the end and high five youth pastors when we were allowed to do that. We could actually touch and high five, but we'd walk through and be like, they'd be like, man, thank you so much, Doug and Donna. Man, my kids were just like radically touched by God. And we could be like, yeah, you're welcome, you know? But really what was happening was the engine room behind the stage. That was what was heating up. And I wanna challenge you, it's what's behind the scenes that is literally making room and preparing for God wants to do in your life personally and as a church. You know, I love football and football is, coming up, Lord willing, but preparation is really important. Can you imagine if the Broncos who were getting paid like thousands, millions of dollars, they were like, you know what? I just kind of wanted to eat what I want this summer. So, you know, we'll just kind of see how it goes. I'll, I'll try to do that. No, we expect them, right, to show up. They are expected to eat a certain way, to prepare their bodies a certain way, to do certain exercises. We understand this in the natural and culture so much. Of course you have to study for a test. Of course you have to eat right. If you're gonna be a professional athlete, of course you have to get your rest. Of course you have to. And as Christians, we're like, oh, it's optional. I'm gonna show up to the Super Bowl and I'm gonna be like, ah, oh, I stayed up all night playing video games, but you know, we'll see what happens because God's grace covers us. But what about a church that rises up and says, I'm gonna prepare, I'm gonna make room, I'm gonna prepare, I'm gonna eat. We eat all these organic foods and yet we spiritually eat junk food all the time. We're so concerned about the natural. What about the spiritual church? What about the spiritual? What in you is driving you that says, God, I want you and only you. I want you and only you. I reach for my phone, but it's because I want to read the Bible app. I reach for things that 
strengthen me inside. Inside, that's what I want. Are you preparing your spirit or just your body? It's time. Do we have a form of religion, but it's devoid of the power? Jesus prepared himself. God wants to prepare you. He wants you to reach your coworkers. He wants you to reach your neighbors. He wants you to reach your family members, but it takes preparation and right now. We're gonna move into a season where we're saying, I'm gonna devote myself. I'm gonna devote myself. I am going to do it. I'm not just gonna rely on Doug and Donna and Elliot, Malia and Tasha and the whole team, Rod. I'm gonna devote myself. It doesn't matter what they're doing because I, I'm going to make room. I am going to prepare. I am going to do the work that God's put before me. I wanna dig it out. You know what prayer and fasting does is it brings courage and faith to do hard things. You know, we all wanna be Esther. Every girl grows up. I wanna be like, Esther, you're called for such a time as this. Well, Esther did a whole lot of preparation. For one, she did 12 months of preparation before the king. But you know, when she found out that her people were in trouble and there was upheaval in the land and literally they were gonna wipe out all of her people, you know what she did? Is she called what? A prayer and fast. She made everybody on her staff, everybody on her team, everybody had to pray and fast for three days because you know what it says? She needed the courage to face the king. You might be in a situation right now and you need some courage to have a difficult conversation. You need some faith to believe that God can turn your situation around. Maybe it's not time to call the thousandth person to get their advice. Maybe it's time to get on your knees and say, God, I'm gonna press into prayer. I'm gonna literally leave some things out of my life and press in and rely on you, God. Maybe it's time for us to do that. Fasting and prayer brings strength to face what we need to face. That's what Jesus did. He knew, he knew it was gonna be hard. So he didn't like feed his flesh, he put down his flesh. You know, the other thing I was thinking is fasting and prayer, it, it brings intimacy with God, closeness. You know, it says that Moses went up the mountain and he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And of course that's when the 10 commandments, but then it says he was face to face with God. That's kind of close. That's kind of like beautiful. You know, it says that Moses was friends with God. Friends with God. When we put down the flesh and we say, God, I don't even know what this means. And maybe you're intimidated today. Maybe you don't know God and you're like, prayer, what does that look like? It sounds boring. It sounds, okay, maybe you just met God today. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, whether you're on the screen or you're in person. God, make God your savior. But prayer is just literally talking to God. It's not about having your hour long in the morning, though there's times where God pulls us into seasons. It's bringing God all day long into your life. It's your driving and your communicating with God. It's just something that literally is like water to you. You don't just drink water in the morning, you drink it all day long. It's saying, God, I wanna be in intimacy. I wanna be fellowship with you and I'm gonna press in. So right now, close your eyes. Maybe God's saying to you this morning, gosh, you gotta trust me. You're trying to choose your desert. You're kind of trying to choose your preparation. You gotta trust me. Maybe God's saying, you gotta surrender to me. Some flesh has come up and you're trying to control things. You gotta surrender to me. Maybe God's saying, you gotta lean in to me. Let some hunger, make some room for some hunger this morning. 
Maybe God's just asking you to stand up against the enemy this morning and some of his ploys against you. Right now, if any of those things are things that is on your heart, I want you to just lift your hands just right in your seat. If God's speaking to you right now, just lift your hands. I don't care if you're at home, wherever you're at, lift your hands. I'm gonna pray for you. God, I pray right now, Jesus, for every person who you're drawing in right now by your spirit, God, that you would reach them, that you would reach them right now, God, that you would challenge those areas in their life where they need to surrender or trust or lean in or press in, God. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you brought us to this moment. God, let us lean into you, Jesus. Right now, if everybody just could be stand as we close this morning, we're gonna go into a song. But I wanna ask one more thing and then I want us all to, to respond really quick. But if everybody close your eyes one more time, if you do not know Jesus, and you don't know him as your savior and today something's drawing you and you wanna make God Lord of your life, you have an opportunity right now. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand. I wanna pray for you. If right now you're just like, I need Jesus right now in my life, you do not know him. Father, I pray for every person who's responding to you right now, God, that you would uh, meet them right now where they're at. You'd begin a relationship with that, with them, God. We thank you for that. Now, if everybody just lift their hands right now, we're gonna make a commitment. Can I, can I hear an amen real quick through your mask? We're gonna make a commitment to press a little bit, to do hard things, to, to let the flesh go down a little bit, to be a little hungry. Come on, are you with me? Are you with me? Lift your hands. Father, I pray for an anointing on this church. I pray for anointing on every believer that is listening. I pray right now for an anointing to just land on your church, God, as we spiritually begin to feed and like stir up an appetite for spiritual things. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that we would be um, bold enough to push down the flesh, that we would be bold enough to stand on your promises and declare what you're gonna do. I pray is if you're drawing us in a desert place that we wouldn't fight you. God, that we would say, I'm gonna press in in this season. God, we thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, for what you're doing, Lord, in our church. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. Lord, and I just pray for a season ahead, God, of miracles. I pray for a season of fruit. I pray for all of those things. But right now, God, we commit to stand and prepare, God, to be curiously stronger when we are called upon by you, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go on a song.